Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Having fun on a Thursday, April 13th. It's hour two of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the new KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Suggest you download that, register, follow along, and take advantage of some really cool listener reward prizes that we have uh, upcoming for the month of April. As we typically do, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is, who do you have? ATS on Friday in Miami, Bulls plus five or uh, Heat minus five. Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app, and Heat minus is five continues to lead the way 75 percent of the vote bulls plus five at 25 percent yeah let's see uh you know i don't pretty sure i'm not going to have a personal wager on this game uh but uh you're forced to do so you know i was totally wrong on the the bulls game last night i thought the raptors at least statistically speaking, based on the regular season, playing at home was a much different thing for them on the positive side as opposed to playing on the road. And it worked out for like two quarters plus last night. And then uh, the Raptors were just horrendous. Uh, you know, 18 out of 36 from the free throw line. I think that's uh, a huge reason why the uh, obviously the uh, the Bulls are moving on. The Raptors went home. We'll get into that question, answering it today around 1130, tossing it over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Should the Jets trade a 2023 second round pick and a 2024 first round pick for Aaron Rodgers? Masses continue on the yes side of things at 52.9%. No trailing at 47.1% on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Yeah, I think this kind of explains why there's been like no movement or not much talk. If this is and it seems like there's multiple reports out there now that this is kind of what the asking price is, and you know, they don't think the I don't know how much bargaining power uh, the Packers actually have here at this point because you've got a quarterback and Rodgers who's already declared that he wants to play with the Jets, and the Jets trying to get as much as they can from the Packers and uh, so forth and. So we'll see how that goes. I should reverse all that. Sorry, the Packers trying to get as much as they can from the Jets. And uh, so I don't, I don't think there's much of a leverage thing going on here. So I guess that's kind of why there's been a stalemate over the last month or so. Yeah, I agree. There's not really a whole lot of leverage there. I guess the only uh, contrarian point of view that I can come up with is that is the Jets fan base excited to have Aaron Rodgers? And if a deal doesn't get done, are they upset, boycotting, et cetera, that Aaron Rodgers isn't there and they're stuck with Zach Wilson again? Well, I'd be upset for Zach Wilson for sure. But uh, you know, anytime that an organization – Basically, I shouldn't say any time, but most of the time, I think when an organization, no matter what the sport, has kind of given in to the fan base demands or ideas or thoughts, that's probably not the best way to proceed. 
Will there be like a sneak approach and all of a sudden trade for Lamar Jackson? I mean, there's potential here for the Jets. They're not tied to Aaron Rodgers, right? Uh, I'd almost rather have Zach Wilson at this point than Aaron Rod- than, uh, than than Lamar Jackson. I'm just down on Lamar Jackson. I just and the biggest the you know, two things, and uh, I've mentioned this before, but the two things that really bother me are, yeah, you know, obviously is you know, now his injury history, and I think there's a legitimate injury history here. I uh, can't make it through the last couple of seasons healthy. And the thing that bothers me the most is that his accuracy in four seasons basically has not seemingly improved at all. Uh, yeah, it, it has not improved. And we've talked about it here uh, just going through the list of wide receivers that are on the roster and obviously the signing of Odell Beckham Jr. He was officially introduced this morning. That is obviously the biggest wide receiver that they have had in, in quite some time on that roster. And just the production from the wide receiver group, I think some of it is the wide receivers and some of it is the style of play and some of it is Lamar. I think it's almost all Lamar. I don't care who the wide receivers are. If you can't throw an accurate pass on a consistent basis, uh, Beckham can't even catch his most. Most of these passes that he has thrown outside the hash marks in his career are uncatchable, whether it's Beckham or Minute Bowl or anybody. We'll table that conversation for now, but we'll get into our answer around 1130. We'll take your calls today. 1115-602-260-1060 is the number. Let's dive into the Arizona Diamondbacks. They beat the Brewers yesterday afternoon 7-3. to Torrey Lovello ejected in the top of the third inning. He was chirping from the dugout, uh, but likely was upset because of some pitch dispersion and called balls and strikes that were going against his guy for the Brewers. Uh, Dre Jamison, though, in his first start of the season, four innings pitched, three hits, four strikeouts in 54 pitches, and the bats were on fire. Lourdes Goriel hit a three-run home run in the third inning. Corbin Carroll hit a 404-foot home run in the seventh inning, and they get the series against the Brewers, and they find themselves an 8-5 and five to start the season. Yeah, certainly not a surprise that Diamondbacks' offense was good yesterday against an emergency starting pitcher after Wood, you know, Woodruff, unfortunately for Milwaukee, was placed on the injured list. You know, the Diamondbacks have had a handful of starters that have kind of come up from the minor leagues the last couple of years. Most of these guys haven't done a whole lot for me, quite frankly. I think that most of these guys are bullpen, long relief type of guys, non-leverage type of guys. But I think that Jamison's got a chance. He was on a pitch count yesterday because it's his first start you know, returning to the rotation after Davies' injury. He made it through four innings, four shutout innings. He's got some wicked stuff uh, and has enough velocity. And once he figures out, hopefully he figures out the command part of this, I think that he actually, of all the guys we've seen them bring up in the last uh, two, three years, I'm not counting Zach Gallon. Obviously, they traded for him. But the guys that have come up through the system in the last couple of years, I actually think that Jamison has the best chance uh, to be a legitimate major league starter for more than just a you know, short-term you know, period of time. I want to ask you a question about pitchers coming up through the system. I mean, that's what 
obviously has allowed the Dodgers in some cases to be the team that they have been because it just seems like they're able to unload these prospects to get some big time players and then therefore uh, use those prospects as well. It just seemed like there was an endless supply there for a couple of years. But when it comes to the Diamondbacks and maybe not having some of those pitchers coming up through, through, through the ranks, how disappointing has that been to not really be developing that homegrown talent? Well, they've got the homegrown talent, certainly in uh, you know the position players. That hasn't been an issue. Uh, I think the Dodger thing is a little misleading because you know the amazing thing about the Dodgers is that they've you know, developed players and uh, you know pitchers and other position players. But you know all the trades that they've made, which aren't at many as you know maybe as many as people think, they've really done a nice job holding on to the most of their primary top prospects. Uh, through all this unless you know they had a abundance of catchers uh, and you can only play one catcher at one time and I think that they've uh, you know they kind of thinned out on that and Will Smith obviously is the guy that's a superior guy there but other than uh, you know other than uh, you know, than really the, the Ruiz who went to you know, Washington they, they've they've done a really nice job keeping the you know their top shelf prospects you know, the the, team, the organization that's done the best job, in my mind, of developing pitchers is Cleveland. Uh, and uh, you know, Carl Willis has been the pitching coach there for a while. Uh, I do not know. I should know, but I don't. Uh, who actually uh, is you know, kind of their minor league instructors or whatever. But it's amazing. Whenever they call up a pitcher, it seems like this guy's ready to contribute and not uh, put them in danger of losing. At least, you know, gives them a chance to win. Uh, and I've, you know, they brought up a guy this week uh, who I'd never heard of before, and you know, he gave them a chance to win against the. That was yesterday against the Yankees, and uh, it seems like this just kind of a never-ending, you know, list of young pitchers that uh, they they understand, they know how to pitch when they get to the major leagues, and uh, you know, you know, I know that you know, the, one of the guys that used to be in the organization in Cleveland is now the pitching coach in San Diego. Uh, so we'll see how that goes out for the goats for the Padres and uh, the Padres right now, you know, I know they're won a bunch of games and everybody loves the Padres, but they need, they need some starting pitching depth. And they also, I think need a couple of relievers if they're going to have the long-term success that seemingly many people believe they're going to have. As for the Diamondbacks, uh, eight and five to start the season. They're off today, and they will start a series in Miami tomorrow. Uh, quickly going into yesterday, you had the Rays beating the Red Sox nine to seven, and the Rays are currently underway right now. If they win this game against the Red Sox, they can tie the thirteen and zero start by the eighty-two Braves and the eighty-seven Brewers. It is currently tied one-one right now in the top of the fourth but Bob uh, I know that you've been watching and uh, some bad news for the Rays and their starting pitcher for today's game yeah Jeffrey Springs has been incredible so far this season it was actually very good at the end of last season he left this game with a, a, some kind of uh, yeah, injury while he was pitching <clears throat> excuse me um, yeah he basically I'm not positive what happened but he threw a pitch uh, pitching coach, manager Kevin Cash come out, uh, and he you know, threw one more pitch to just try to you know warm up type of pitch to see how he's doing, and he walked right off the mound, and walked right into the dugout and into the clubhouse. So uh, 
not a good thing for the Rays. Really, the first thing that's kind of gone wrong for them this season, uh, after their you know hot start and so forth. But Springs has been unbelievably good so far, and uh, you know he actually the first game that he pitched, he didn't give up a hit six innings, but he had a pitch count thing going, so they pulled him at that point. But uh, this is a uh, certainly got to be alarming, and like I said, I'm not sure what the injury is specifically. I couldn't really tell whether it was a lower body thing or an arm thing or whatever, but he threw one more warm-up pitch and without any hesitation or any discussion with the trainer, just walked right off the mound and walked into the clubhouse. Uh, then you had yesterday the Mets beating the Padres 5-2. to two. The Padres back at it today, but against the Brewers. Last I saw, I didn't see a pitcher for the Brewers, but the Padres sending out Nick Martinez. Yeah, the Brewers, they even announced yesterday that they don't know what they're doing today. Uh, last in, uh, you know, they Obviously, they had to scratch Woodruff, and you know, Junk was the starter yesterday, and he's not good. Uh, he was just an emergency starter yesterday, and they uh, really didn't, at least as of yesterday, publicly have a plan for today and really throughout the weekend in San Diego. Maybe uh, you know, obviously not good with Woodruff on the uh, on the injured list, but you know the the, the uh, series against the Diamondbacks was the first of like a three game, or excuse me, three series road trip in the West Coast. You know, Arizona, quote West Coast, San Diego, and Seattle. Uh, it's like a ten game road trip that they just started with these three games that they played Monday through Wednesday against the Diamondbacks. Uh, yeah, then you also had the Yankees beating the Guardians 4-3 to yesterday. Uh, then you had the Blue Jays topping the Tigers 4-3 to and the Dodgers beating the Giants 10-5. to I do see that the Twins and the Yankees are uh, playing some baseball as well today, and uh, that will be a Joe Ryan versus Johnny Brito start. Yeah, see how Brito does. I mean, he's kind of he's pitching. Uh, he wouldn't be in the rotation if it weren't for their other injuries. Needless to say, you know they've had three starters go down for a long you know, period of time. And yeah, Rodon, it was uh, you know he's you know, trying to come back, and he was uh, he has now back problems. Uh, he had to, they had to shut him down yesterday, so his rehab has been delayed, and he was expected to maybe be back. In a couple of weeks, I assume that that's not the, uh, the you know, timetable anymore. Uh, but Brito uh, has gotten a couple of starts in a, kind of an emergency situation so far here. And uh, throws strikes. Doesn't strike out a ton of guys, but he definitely throws strikes. And he's going to certainly get an opportunity as long as a, you know, the Severinos and uh, obviously Col- and Rodon and, and uh, you know, Montas is already out for the season. Uh, for the Yankees, so that's you know 60% of the rotation that they were anticipating would be uh, they're you know, starting five guys uh, you know, back in say January, and uh, it's, uh, that's that's a big obstacle. To, you know, no matter who you are, uh, you know, losing 60% of your rotation in the early part of the season or any part of the season is uh, something that an organization is going to have a tough time overcoming. 602-260-1060. That's the number to join the program. We'll take your calls now, get to you in the next segment. Uh, we'll also dive into, I saw the Athletic put together what each team's uh, strengths have been and whether or not it could potentially be a positive trend moving forward for the clubs. 
albeit the caveat is it's been a really small sample size. So I'll see if you agree with some of these uh, things that they have put together for Major League Baseball. If we have some time, we'll try to figure out what this S2 cognitive test is in the NFL and why that's been uh, taking hold of things and potentially going to supplant the Wonderlick test. So we'll get into all of that here on the Extra Point KDUS AM 1060. But if you'd like to join the program, you can. 602-260-1060 is the number. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Back after this. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. Eleven twenty-three on this Thursday, April 13th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Room for you if you'd like to take advantage. 602-260-1060 is the number. Uh, before we get into a little bit more about Major League Baseball, seeing this from Jonathan Giovanni from ESPN that Arizona junior Tubelis will enter the 2023 NBA draft, telling ESPN today. Uh, in addition to that, he is going to compete at the NBA draft combine, which takes place May 15th through 21st in Chicago. Uh, so Tubelis, at least at this point, putting his name out there and uh, seeing what comes back. Yeah, I don't think he's an NBA guy, personally. I think he's a really good college player. Kind of like what we talked about with the UCLA guys earlier in the uh, show here. I think, uh, you know, he's got some you know ball skills. The best thing he does in the college level is he runs the floor exceptionally well for a big guy. And uh, they were a good passing team, so that kind of uh, suited. I think it was a nice fit. But, you know, there's a lot, you know, everybody runs the floor in the NBA seemingly. So I'm not really sure how his game, uh, you know, meshes in with the NBA. And I would assume uh, that if he has a professional career ahead of him, and I think he certainly has a professional career ahead of him, but I would think that uh, some place in Europe would be better suited to his skill level than the NBA. Uh, looks here that he averaged 19.8 points, 9.1 rebounds, and two assists in near, in just over 30 minutes of play this season for the U of A. Obviously, he was counted on a lot to uh, be a shot maker and a point uh, point creator. That's true. But also, if you look at the last couple of years, uh, you know, a, a decent a num- decent number of the games that they lost, he was not good and not a factor and. And uh, the NCAA tournament losses the last couple of years, he's been kind of taken out of the equation by teams that had superior athleticism. Uh, and uh, so that kind of goes back to my, I don't think he's necessarily an NBA guy. I think he could make an NBA roster, but I don't think he's an NBA difference maker. I think that uh, his best options would be in the, the European basketball, pro basketball market, which is abundant. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor Tubelis' situation uh, with the upcoming draft combine and just, I guess, figuring out who's uh, who's leaving and who's staying in the Pac-12, even though, you know, UCLA uh, eventually won't be a member of the Pac-12. Uh, I digress. 
The Athletic, they put together each team's small sample size, but it could be a positive trend for what we could expect from teams moving forward. I thought we could go through the NL West and then of some notable teams, but we can start with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I want to see if you kind of agree and and whether or not any of this is sustaining, has sustaining power moving forward. The Diamondbacks have a 94% success rate stealing bases so far this season they have 17 stolen bases leading the national league and they have only been caught stealing once uh they're the only team to have stolen home plate as well and they have taken the extra base on 56 percent of opportunities which is tied for sixth they have to figure out ways to uh uh get it done on the bases when they get the opportunity to be on base yeah, and uh, I think they've hit more home runs than people expect. You know, certainly even here, you know, you have the humidor here now. I think that they've uh, displayed a little more power than we thought. I think we knew they were going to be fast. And, you know, they actually stole a lot of bases last year under the old rules, especially in the second half of the season. So, you know, I think that uh, Torrey Lovello is certainly using his, uh, his team's strengths to their advantage uh, by running frequently. Also, I think we've also seen in the last three or four days here uh, that, uh, you know, the running game has been reduced a little bit. In fact, uh, there was some controversy in the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Boston game last night uh, with, uh, you know, the, the pitching coach for Tampa Bay, you know, neandering to the mound and not exactly in a hurry and, uh, you know, basically giving his pitcher a little more time to recover and so forth and, you know, the Red Sox were really upset about that after the game. It happened again in this game this morning, the which Tampa Bay is playing against Boston. And uh, Alex Cora, they showed him in the dugout. I'm watching the Red Sox broadcast, but he was just laughing out loud uh, when the uh, you know, Tampa pitching. There's not a pitch clock for the Tampa Bay pitching coach going uh, to and from the down and back to the dugout, obviously. Maybe there should be. The rest of the NL West here, uh, I mean the Rockies, let's just take this with a grain of salt and I think maybe trying to come up with something here for them. Uh, Ryan McMahon's exit velocity, it is pretty impressive though. His exit velocity is going out at 111.2 miles per hour and that's good enough for top 10% in the league. But I guess when you're uh, stretching this thin to try to find something to talk about the Rockies, here's where we're at. Okay, well, I'll just kind of end it there because I really have watched almost no Rockies baseball this year except for the couple of games they got destroyed by the Dodgers, and I've got nothing to offer on the Rockies. The Dodgers, for them, they're second in the National League in innings per start. So if the starters are able to keep soaking up innings, that could be a good thing if you look at it. Uh, Dustin May, 18 and a third innings pitched. Clayton Kershaw, 12 innings pitched. And uh, I don't know what Julio Urias, after his start yesterday, was I can find that number, but I'll stop now. Yeah, he was, he was really good the other night. Pitched I think into the seventh or eighth inning, uh, so he's been good. And then last night Kershaw was really good. And uh, you know so the Dodgers, I think the, t- the top part of their starting rotation, they're going to get better in the rotation because uh, assuming that Tony Gonsolin, who was so good last year, got injured towards the end of last season, started this year on the injured list with a different injury. Uh, the assumption is he's going to be ready to pitch within the last couple of weeks or the next couple of weeks, excuse me. That's what I heard most recently. So that's going to get better. Uh, they're, they're fine. I mean, I know that there's people that are in panic mode. Uh, what were they like five and five or whatever they were? 
uh, you know, they have started seasons slowly before and had no problem becoming a juggernaut by the end of the year. I don't think they're going to be as good at the end of the year as they have been in some past seasons here recently. But, uh, you know, the, I think that there's been too much of, uh, you know, what the hell is wrong with the Dodger type of thing at this point. They're not as good as they have been, but they're still better than most teams. Uh, the numbers, Dustin May, 18 and a third, Julio Urias, 18, and Kershaw also 18 innings pitched so far. Uh, that's the most current number for the Giants. So that's, so that's basically six innings per start for all three of those guys. Correct. For the Giants, 11 players uh, are contributing with at least one home run. I just thought this was fascinating. They haven't actually had a 30-home run player since Barry Bonds in 2004. So if they don't have one person that can blast a lot of home runs, if many guys are at least hitting home runs, that could potentially help them. Yeah, it's a really tough place to hit home runs. Uh, you know, the ballpark has gotten easier because they changed the dimensions in the outfield a little bit. Uh, I just don't think the Giants are very good. Uh, they had their dream and perfect season almost two years ago when they won 107 or 108 games, whatever it was, one of those two. Uh, and uh, they beat out the Dodgers that particular year to win the division. Uh, that's a, a season where everything went right for them. Uh, I do think they, uh, you know, their starting pitching has been a little disappointing to me also this year, especially Logan Webb, uh, who just kind of contradicts what I just said. He's turned into a, uh, you know, giving up home run machine. Uh, he's given up several home runs, some of those even at home, uh, and uh, some of them I know were on the road in uh, New York against the Yankees and that, uh, you know, the launching pad in uh, the south side of Chicago, but. Uh, to me, I would be really surprised if the Giants were an above 500 team. And uh, of the season win totals that I didn't bet, that I considered betting, uh, they were roughly a you know, you know, 500 team. And uh, I decided not to bet against that. I bet the under. I wish I had at this point. Uh, when it comes to the Padres here, how about Xander Bogarts and his start here? Uh, he's 16 hits. He also has 10 RBIs, four home runs, and he has only struck out five times. I think that's impressive when you think about uh, who he's surrounded with at, at the plate. Manny Machado, 13 strikeouts. Juan Soto, 11 strikeouts. Trent Grisham, 14 strikeouts. Jake Cronenworth, 12 strikeouts. Yeah, well, Bogarts doesn't go deep in the count very often, so that you know, helps your chances of not striking out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he that was an interesting addition. I don't think he's a particularly good shortstop anymore. Uh, defensively, should be, I think, playing third base, but obviously Machado is as, as, you know, as good as it gets at third base, so he's not going to play that position. I'm sure there was some kind of guarantee uh, from the organization that he was going to play shortstop when he signed there. Kim, who is a tremendous defensive shortstop, they moved him to second base. And if they really wanted to help their infield defense, they would actually have Kim still playing shortstop and Bogarts playing second base. Maybe we'll see that moving forward, uh, just giving it some some time. I don't think there's a chance in hell that that actually happens moving forward because I don't think Bogarts would have signed with the Padres had it been uh, – not promised that he was going to play shortstop. Some notables here, the Braves, Matt Olson hitting 333, obviously being able to uh, contribute in that position for the Braves after moving on from Freddie Freeman. Well, I think the biggest thing to me for the Braves this season is, you know, they've done this. They've got off to a decent start, certainly. 
They haven't had Max Freed, who's on the injured list. He got hurt on opening day covering first base. You know, Kyle, you know Wright, uh, who was the only 20-game winner in baseball last season, had some injuries in spring training. Uh, Soroka is still not back from his numerous injuries, and their closer, Iglesias, uh, was on the injured list to start the season, and then he had a recent setback, and he's been shut down. He has not thrown an inning yet this season. All that's been going against them, pitching staff-wise, and they're still winning enough games to you know, you know stay above water right now. So I think the you know, teams are going to be kind of thinking, "Oh my God, we can't beat these guys," or we're not you know we're not taking advantage of an opportunity to get a lead on the Braves in the division, especially when all those guys are down with injury because none of these guys, it seems like, have serious injuries. But uh, the fact that they're all injured simultaneously right now to begin the season and the Braves have still won some games uh, other than the uh, weekend series against the Padres, that's got to be pretty scary if you're a National League East team that you have not taken advantage of the opportunity. For the Yankees, how about Garrett Cole? 19 and a third innings pitched. Uh, he's given up 11 hits, three earned runs, 22 strikeouts, seven walks, and no home runs so far. He's been great. Uh, the only note I really have on the Yankees, I already mentioned their pitching staff and their starting rotation other than Cole. Uh, just roster-wise, as of uh, Sunday, they have 11 players on the injured list already. And finally here, a chance for you to talk about your Rays again. Wander Franco, seven extra base hits, four home runs so far. That's true. I talked about this with Jay Jaffe uh, from Fangraphs on Tuesday. We talked about the Rays with him a little bit, and then we got into Franco specifically. You know, he's a guy that's uh, considered the top prospect in baseball a couple years ago. Has maybe been a little disappointing so far, and uh, he's been kind of a guy that hits way too many ground balls. And uh, he's increased his, you know, the launch angle thing, and obviously the Braves are big into the metrics thing. Uh, so I'm sure that's part of their teaching skills there. And the fact that he's now hitting the ball in the air, and there's no question that he has uh, you know, you know, power and uh, you know, has exit velocity, uh, you know, to use that term, exit velocity uh, you know, ingredients. Uh, so you know, he's been uh, kind of what they many people expected. And remember, the Rays haven't had Glassdow pitching yet. He's their best starting pitcher, at least considered to be their best starting pitcher. And McClanahan, based on last year, their best starting pitcher. But they haven't had him at all. And he's a, the target date for him, the last I heard as of a few days ago, is uh, like May the 10th for him to uh, return to the starting rotation and make his season debut. We'll get into poll questions on the other side of the break right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Clearly, so far, there was quite an advantage for playing the RBC Heritage event in the morning. The best round of the day so far that's currently on the golf course, Hayden Buckley at three under par. Uh, Then you have a couple of guys at two under par, but uh, a lot of low scores and they're already done for the day it's plenty of extra point next catch the doug gottlieb show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m right here on kdus am 1060 and online at kdus 1060.com
Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's time to dive into today's poll questions. Let's do it with the kdos1060.com poll question first. Who do you have ATS on Friday in Miami? Bulls plus five, Heat minus five. Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. And of course, the winner gets the all-important eight seed to face the Bucks. Yeah, purpose for the question here, I would take the Heat minus five if I had to do something. I'm not going to do unless something amazing happens in the next 24 hours. Uh, my plan is not to do anything other than watch this game. Uh, I, don't, you know, I was wrong about the Bulls yesterday. I'm not going to change my opinion on them because they won one game, which I think the other team, being the Raptors, lost that game as much as the Bulls won it. And then I don't know what to think of the Heat after uh, what we witnessed on Tuesday night and then talking to people that uh, watch a whole lot more than the regular, a whole, a whole lot more regular season, especially the Eastern Conference than I do. A couple of people, uh, they're down in the heat anyway. Uh, so, and, uh, you, know, and, you know, one informed me that this team is anything like what you've seen in the past. And that's certainly what I saw Tuesday night. Uh, so, if, like I said, if I had to do anything, I guess I'd take the heat, but, uh, uh, I have no interest in betting on this game. Yeah, so I think what the Bulls are set to travel again, so advantage should go to the Heat, but uh, not sure that the Heat can be trusted for what we've seen from the regular season, what we saw in that Tuesday night contest against the Hawks. Uh, they didn't really come to play with any sort of intensity here, so maybe they're, they're showing us who they are. Uh, when it comes to the Bulls, I mean, obviously they uh, – certainly shoot the the mid-range jumper uh, but at some point maybe trading twos with threes is going to eventually catch up to you here but I'm just not sure I'm confident in what the heat are doing so uh like you no actual personal wagers on this but I'd actually go uh bulls plus five I could get that I mean uh you know they have uh, the heat have an extra day of rest which is you know what you know the seating you know dictated this mm-hmm. and that type of thing and you know, the Bulls were the first team, uh, first 10 seed ever to win a playoff game last night. And then like three hours later, uh, Oklahoma City was the second 10th place team to ever win a uh, play-in game. Uh, so that lasted for less than like three hours. <laughs> the masses, though, are on the Heat minus five at 60% of the vote. Bulls plus five at 40%. This is KDOS1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Should the Jets trade a 2023 second round pick and a 2024 first round pick for Aaron Rodgers? I saw Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports reporting that the Packers uh, want a 2023 second round pick, 2024 first round pick, but then also that the Packers would be willing to give a 2025 pick. I don't know what round to the Jets if Aaron Rodgers does, in fact, retire after the 2023 season. Uh, I think if you can identify, if you being the Jets and the Jets management team can identify Aaron Rodgers will help you win a division, uh, therefore then putting yourself in the playoff context in the playoff atmosphere anything can happen so why not go all in if you feel like your defense is good enough to uh metrically get you there you have certain playmakers around you on offense maybe the offensive line has some question marks but Brees hall at running back coming back certainly helps you're a quarterback away from just advancing the ball forward i mean in my mind is that just atrocious patriots jets game with like 
50 yards of total throwing offense uh, just burned into my skull. But so if you have any sort of forward passing, you could potentially put yourself in in a conversation here if you're the Jets. So I know the AFC is a much more tougher road to go down. You have to continue to go through Patrick Mahomes. You have to go through Josh Allen just in your division alone. But uh, it's it's a step in the right direction from rolling out Zach Wilson. And I think it would still be a better option than Lamar Jackson if you were to go that direction, because that's what two first round picks. And there's still question marks about durability and question marks about postseason performance. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said there. However, I guess I'm going to disagree with the answer. Um, there is no way I would actually do this if I were the Jets, and primarily because I don't think they have to. Uh, you know, it's uh, and you know, I also don't know how good Aaron Rodgers is at this point. You know, there were many throws that Rodgers made last year, and I know that uh, kind of like Lamar Jackson, everybody blames the receivers or everything that goes wrong for. Uh, for Lamar Jackson, and then a lot of people blame the receivers last year, everything that went wrong with Aaron Rodgers. There were a lot of throws that he made with ease in past years that he did not make accurately last year. It wasn't all the receiver thing. I think that, yeah, he certainly you know gave some ammunition to the people that thought it was a receiver thing with some of his comments. And the obvious thing is that there you know, certainly a drop-off from Adams. But like I said, just watching him play, and the throws that he made, uh, there seemed to be a significant decline in a lot of those plays from last year. And I don't think there's any reason that they have to give up the, what the asking price supposedly is here for Rodgers. I just, you know, I think I'm assuming they're waiting to get closer to the draft because the Jets think that they don't have to give up a 2023 second rounder and a 2024 first rounder to get him. I don't disagree with what you said about Rodgers uh, on the field and whether or not we did see a decline. I know that there was a lot of uh, it's the wide receivers and how I don't have any, uh, but also I do think there was some some tangible decline in his play. Absolutely there was, and that's something we talked about with frequency uh, during the NFL season last year, and it wasn't just us. I mean, it's... You know, clearly, and granted, I mean, the dude was the MVP for two straight years, so almost uh, almost always there's going to be some kind of decline no matter how old you might be. But clearly, this was not all just a wide receiver thing at the end of last year. And some of those wide receivers, by the way, did a nice job developing during the season this past year for you know, Watson especially. Yeah, Christian Watson uh, did a great job with that. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't like he had, you know, he had better receivers than Lamar Jackson in, uh, in Baltimore did. But I think that there's an accuracy thing with Jackson. And I think that there was a less accuracy uh, thing from Rodgers last year. He was less accurate than he certainly had been the previous two years. And it wasn't just all the fact that Adams wasn't there anymore. The masses are on the yes side of things at 52.9% of the vote. No sitting at 47.1%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060.
Uh, those are the, always the places to check out the poll questions, kdos1060.com and on Twitter at kdosam1060. We wrap up this Thursday, April 13th edition on the other side of the break. Be sure to be downloading the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Follow along with the directions after you register for some really cool listener prizes our way of saying thank you uh, for contributing and being supportive of the program but we wrap up uh, this edition of extra points on the other side of the break Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob, it's thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else sip through the cracks. Also, our guest today around the NBA in the play-in round and looking ahead to the playoffs with Danny Favale of Bleacher Report. Sound day courtesy of ESPN, Fox, Bally Sports, Arizona, WDAE in Tampa. More on the Rays in a moment here, by the way. And CBS. Also special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. Back to the Rays for a second. Jeffrey Springs, starting pitcher, left with an injury. Uh, the first report I saw here now is either a hand or a forearm injury out to his pitching arm. So that's not a good thing, needless to say. He's been off to an excellent start. Also, the Rays, within the last couple of moments, have uh, scored three runs in the bottom of this Fifth inning, I think it is, and taking a 4-3 lead against the Red Sox. So as they go for their 13th consecutive win to begin the season, probably bad news long-term with the Springs injury, possible good good news short-term, they might win another game. Okay, now I get to say Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3. From 3 to 5, it's the Rich Eisen Show, followed by the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. Play has been suspended at the RBC Heritage, uh, and that's a good thing because our guys uh, that are in our outrights are currently suffering through the weather conditions now, so get them off the golf course, let the weather uh, get better, and they can come back and take advantage of a wet, soft golf course and score low, whether it be later this afternoon or tomorrow uh so there's like, like when a starting pitcher is behind in the game and it starts to rain and they don't make it through five innings you want the game to be rained out uh, correct so yes go. so like just yes. they're they're sitting at like even par right now so just uh the, the fresh start when the weather is much better moving forward so we'll continue to monitor that but as we mentioned victor hovland out in front seven under par uh leading the rbc heritage and he is done So I stumbled into this combination of things yesterday and this morning talking about um, 
streaming rights and streaming services and how this is all coming together into the sports world. The S&P Global Market Intelligence has data that believes live sports rights will generate more than $30 billion annually by 2025. That's not too far away. That's just less than two years away. Streaming platforms continue to enter the conversation for these rights and therefore because they are entering into these conversations, it's increased the media rights value. Uh, so you look at that from an Amazon perspective, You the bidding of Apple TV, etc., uh, YouTube TV, all of that is just driving things of, for the cost uh, of these rights deals going up and up and up. But this is great news for all of the leagues, but does this mean it's great news for linear TV, and does it mean it's great news for consumers? Uh, linear TV they might get to a point where they can't justify the cost anymore of these rights deals going up and up. So therefore, it would force fans to have to pay for more streaming services uh, in order to continue to follow the teams that they like. Uh, so certainly this is a, a concern for some people who are looking at this more from a fan perspective and looking at it more from a linear TV perspective. Uh, so interesting to follow this because it's great news for the league. So they're going to keep uh, driving the money up and I can't see them, uh, you know, at some point they will have to take a look at where's the dollar going, how are we alienating fans, and looking at the cost analysis of, analysis of all of it and saying, well, am I sacrificing too much by not being able to give it to the most number of people, or am I gaining enough on the other side by making it a subscription-based model? So kind of interesting to, to follow along with where we're headed in that particular direction, but S&P Global Market Intelligence Data believes sports rights will generate more than $30 billion annually by 2025. Most uh, interesting here as well, the NBA regular season averaged 1.6 million viewers across ABC, ESPN, and TNT. That remains flat from last year, up from 2019-2020 season. That was obviously shortened in the bubble in 2020-2021. However, interesting to note, if you go back to November, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO had said, we don't have to have the NBA. That caused a lot of... Uh, upheaval, if you will, of saying, oh my gosh, is, is TNT Turner going to be out on all of this? Just yesterday, he kind of walked that back a little bit and he said, we are a leader in sports. We have the NBA for another couple of years and hopefully for long term, we're building an attack strategy. Interesting to note there, though, yesterday was the unveilment of HBO Max Discovery Plus coming together to be called Max. That's yet again another streaming service. So are we headed further down the road of all of these different streaming platforms and things that people are going to have to pay for to consume sports products? One more quick sports update. The Rays have scored seven runs in the bottom of the fifth inning. Thanks for listening. As always, have yourselves a fantastic Thursday.